Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. Hey, I'd like to introduce myself. My name's Joe, and uh, I do work here, uh, just in case you're wondering. I do. Hey, it's good to be with you today, and, and I'm grateful to be back from sabbatical. And I just want to say here at the beginning, uh, on behalf of me and my wife, Kirsten, our two boys, Neil and Brock, uh, thank you for allowing us a little bit of time away to go recharge the batteries. And, and uh, I've been so looking forward to com- coming back and, and being here with you today. A lot, a lot of you have asked, what did you end up doing on your sabbatical? That's the kind of the question you've been asking. And I'm happy to tell you we did a whole lot of nothing. So, uh, no, it's not, not exactly nothing. We did, we did uh, actually a lot of things, didn't we, Neil? We did a lot. Neil's like, yeah, that's my son over here. Yeah, we did a lot. Um, <laughs> it doesn't want to be pointed out. Um, we actually did quite a bit of stuff, and I'm, I'm happy to tell you, we, we got to travel some. Uh, we went down to Houston for a few days to be with my wife's family, who all live down there. Um, we got to spend some time around here just doing some of the things we love. Uh, any kayakers in here? Anybody like to kayak? Uh, we spent plenty of time on the water, and uh, my wife's family came down from Chicago for a few days, and uh, her brother who lives up there and his kids, we, we did more kayaking, and we played around together. Um, my wife and I took about four days to go off to by ourselves and celebrate our 22nd wedding anniversary. So we got to do that. And so, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I don't know how I put up with her all this long. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's really, it's the other way around. I don't know how she's put up with me all this time. That is the truth. That is the truth. But uh, we went up to Duluth, Minnesota. Have you guys ever been up there? Uh, we had never been up there before. Uh, we spent some time in that area. We took in one of the coolest air shows I've ever seen. You guys like air shows? We went up and watched the Blue Angels fly. Have you ever seen them fly in person? My goodness, that, that never disappoints to watch the Blue Angels fly. And this is a video that I took while we were there. I mean, it was awesome. At this air show, they had an F-22 Raptor. Do you know what that is? It's one of the most sophisticated fighter jets ever in the whole world. I've never seen one fly in person. And let me just say, I have never seen a fighter jet do what this thing did. It just blew my mind. But we got to do that. That was pretty cool. And those are little videos that I shot with my phone um, while we're at the air show. And then our way back towards Arkansas, we went through Wisconsin and we saw some friends that live there. And, and then we ended up in, in downtown Chicago. And some of you are like, why would you do that? Anyway, we went to downtown Chicago and we spent the night there on Michigan Avenue and well, in a hotel, not on the street itself. And, and we ate pizza and my wife's from Chicago. So we just enjoyed the time. And, and, but we're glad to be back. And we did a lot of other things as well. But I, I just thank you guys for that time, that treasured time away. I'm thrilled to be back to start this new series today called Questions. And I've been looking forward to it because this is the series where where you ask the questions and I'll do the best job that I know how to do to take those questions and form them into a a sermon series uh, built around those. A little over a month ago, we started advertising the series. We started asking you to submit, submit questions and how you do that and how you can still do that is to go to the app and you're gonna see a big question mark on the app, tap it, and you'll, it'll take you to a place where you can ask any question that you want. It can be questions about, hey, what does the Bible say about this? Or it could be a question like, um, you know, hey, what is the church's view on this? It could be like, as a Christian, how do I... Fill in the blank. You can ask that question. They can be questions literally about anything. It can be about the Bible. It can be about our faith. It can be about our doctrine. It can be about something you, you, you read in the news or you saw out in our society or something going on with our culture. It could be any question about our beliefs, our practices. Why do we do what we do? And anything that's confusing to you or interpretations or, or in, literally, I hope you get the idea, 
The questions can be literally about anything. And the goal being that God would take these questions and he would use them as we wrestle these things down together as a church, that he would use them to help us grow as a church family, to deepen all of our walks with God, um, to, to just really build a foundation of understanding of scripture for our faith and, and ultimately to mature us as followers of Jesus. So I can tell you, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm, I'm looking forward to see how God is gonna move in our family, because our church family, because there's just something about wrestling down an answer to a question that helps us grow. And I believe God's gonna do some amazing things. Um, I'm looking forward to the challenges that this series is gonna present. And um, um, I, I believe me, some of the questions that have already been submitted, let's just say they're doozies, okay? Um, so can, can you turn to your neighbor, whoever, and just say, hey, Pastor Joe got some doozies of questions already. Go ahead, let, let them know, because they may not have missed it. Let them know, they got some doozies. And I, I, I'm scared a little bit to even challenge or tackle some of those, but, but all that to say, just keep those questions coming. Um, keep asking those questions. I'm expecting after this weekend, there'll probably be a whole lot more, a whole other round of questions coming. I want you to know that I'm taking this series week to week. Um, the, the direction that God is gonna take this series, I'm just letting you know, is undefined at this point. I haven't even actually put an end date yet to this series. That's how undefined that it is. And, and to kind of further explain this, how this is gonna work, is I'm gonna be taking every question that comes in and I'm gonna be praying about each question. I'm gonna be talking with a lot of you. I'm gonna be listening to the questions that you have as we just have conversations. I'm, I'm gonna be trusting the Lord that week in and week out, he's gonna guide me and help me discern exactly which question or questions get turned into, into sermons. And not only that, but also in figuring out how to answer many of the questions that don't ever make it into a sermon. So I'm just telling you, this is gonna be a very fluid process. It's exciting to do it this way. It's terrifying at the same time to do it this way. Uh, but you just keep these questions coming because where I think we're gonna end at the end of this series is gonna be a place of great benefit to our church family. So as we get started, let me go over three ground rules for this series. These are very important ground rules for us to all be on the same page about. And the first ground rule is this, and you need to understand that what the Bible says trumps everything else. Okay, so as we tackle these questions together, at the end of the day, what the Bible says trumps everything else. And I want you to know that I will unapologetically stand where the Bible takes a strong stand. And it really doesn't matter at that moment what our opinions are or how we feel about something, where the Bible speaks, where the Bible stands, we're gonna stand with the Bible. I remember at a previous ministry I was preaching and, and after the service one of the guys in our church came up to me and I was preaching on, I don't remember what text now in the New Testament, but it was something that Paul had written and he came up to me and he said, hey, I got a problem with, with what the Apostle Paul said. I don't think I agree with him. I wasn't exactly sure what he wanted me to say in response. He said, I think the Apostle Paul got it wrong. And, and I was like, well, sorry. I don't know what to say to you. I, I tell you that just to, to share with you, uh, the Bible's gonna trump everything, okay? Ground rule number two, uh, the Bible doesn't specifically speak to every single subject that we might think of. 
And so in that case, if we come across a question where the Bible doesn't specifically name something, what we're going to do is we're going to examine a lot of Scripture, and we're going to let Scripture guide us to the correct landing spot. Um, we're going to find some guiding principles, and there's some things that the Bible guides us towards, but maybe doesn't specifically say. Ground rule number three, um, there might be some questions, and not might be, I, I know there are some questions, that you can't definitively say from Scripture it's this or that. So you might say it really comes down to matters of opinion. At the end of the day, there's opinion things that, that these questions may cover. If we come across an opinion issue, I'm gonna give you my opinion as a follower of Jesus. I'll share with you my opinion as your pastor, and then you can take it from there. So I'm excited about where we're going. So if you would, would you pray for me during this series? Every day I would cover your prayers. And let's hear as we begin. Let's just ask God to help us. So we pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray you give us all wisdom and guidance and understanding into which questions we should tackle together and to which questions would be of greatest benefit and value to our church family. Lord, I pray that you help us grow spiritually. Lord, may our roots grow deeper through the wrestling down of questions that we have on our minds about a great number of things. Lord, would you strengthen our foundation as followers of Jesus? And in all things, Lord, would you get the glory from what we're doing? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this first question that we're going to tackle today, I want you to know, um, is not where I thought we were going to start this series. You know, I didn't know exactly where we are going to start this series, but it wasn't here at this point. But a, a number of you asked questions about this same thing, and there was a number of questions that came in all around this um, one topic. And, and the more I thought about it, though, and the more I prayed on it and asked God, God, show me where you want us to start, um, I kind of feel like now, as I've wrestled this down more, that this is probably the perfect place to start. This is actually probably the best question that we could ask for a series like this, to get us started. And, and the question's kind of a simple one. It's, it's just this. Where did the Bible come from and how did we get it? Where did the Bible come from and, and how did we get it? Now, in full disclosure, that question right there is actually a, a, a combination of numerous questions that were submitted. Questions about the origins of the Bible and its trustworthiness and its authenticity. And, and, and so I kind of summarized that into kind of a simple question for sake of clarity and a place where we can jump off of. And, and the questions are simply, where did the Bible come from and how did we get it? I appreciate these questions about the Bible because let's face it today, the Bible is under attack today, isn't it? The Bible's absolutely under attack. Um, you could argue that the Bible has always been under attack. But from where I stand at, at this point in my life, it seems like more so than any other time in my life do I does it seem like the Bible is under attack? And it's being attacked by atheists, which is to be expected, that's no surprise. But also, believe it or not, today, the Bible and its authenticity and it being the word of God, it is being attacked by so-called Christians today. Now what I am telling you is the truth. The Bible is under assault today within the walls of many churches in our country. And for me personally, this is quite alarming. But as a whole, everywhere in the world and at every time in history, a secular society has always attacked the Bible. 
A secular society has always viewed the Bible through a skeptical and a suspicious and an unbelieving lens. And again, this should not shock us, it should not surprise us, it should not worry us at, at all because the Bible has always stood up under the most fierce of pressures. You guys realize that? The most fierce attacks the Bible has always stood up, attacks from the everyday atheists to tyrant kings and leaders of whole nations. Quite frankly, the Bible itself is the most attacked book in the history of the world. Josh McDowell says this. He says, many have tried to burn it, ban it, and outlaw it from the days of the Roman emperors to present day. He's absolutely right. But what has been true and consistent throughout all history, a history of attempts to silent and squelch to destroy the word of God, what has been true is that all of those attempts have failed. Why is that? Why have all attempts to squash the Bible fail? It is because everywhere in the world where the Bible is preached, where it is taught, and where it is read changes lives. Everywhere. Have anybody in this room ever heard of a man named Robert Thomas? I would be surprised if many of you have heard that name. Um, and on July 21st, 1863, he set sail from England to China with this burning desire to get as many Bibles into the hands of the Chinese people as possible. It was his life's calling. While he was living on the outside of Beijing, he got word of all the atrocities that were taking place in Korea. And at that moment, he changed his focus slightly and he said, I feel like God is calling me to get the word of God into the hands of the Koreans. And at this time in history, uh, Korea was kind of a hermit kingdom. It had separated itself from all outside world and isolated it itself. And, and it was against the law to try to evangelize in Korea, and, 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 but he was determined to go. Robert Thomas would make two trips into Korea, which would be punishable by death if he was caught. The, the first trip lasted about four months and he was able to distribute some Bibles and he had some success there. It would be his second trip that would be his last trip to Korea. You see how it goes is he found himself on board a merchant ship and with him he had crates of Bibles to distribute. And this merchant ship was sailing into Korean waters in an attempt to establish some trade with the Koreans which was against the law and was, you know, could have been seen as an act of war and all of those things. So as they're heading up the river towards Pongyang, they were confronted and, and they were warned to turn around by the Koreans, don't come any further, go away, and, and the ship kept on going that Robert was on. That ship would eventually run aground in the river and that's where the ship was attacked and it was set on fire and, and burned. Now what happens next that depends on the account that you read. There's some varying differences in, in accounts. I'll, I'll share with you one. This is one account of what happened after the ship was attacked and set on fire. The report was that, that Robert Thomas, he was standing on the, the deck of the ship and he was opening the crates of Bibles and he was throwing them overboard towards the shore of the river where all the people had gathered to watch this ship burn. And then the report says that when his clothes caught on fire, he jumped overboard and swam to shore. With one last Bible in his hand, he offered it up to the Korean soldier who confronted him on the shore of the river. And that soldier refused to take the Bible, but instead ran his spear through Robert Thomas, killing him there on the shores of the river. He was 27 years old. And that's one account. And there's, there's a variety of counts, and that's just one of them. 
What we do know for certain is that the government of Korea in that day, they tried to destroy and get rid of all the Bibles that Robert Thomas had thrown overboard. And they tried to squelch it. That same year, they had killed 8,000 Christians who had a small group that had risen up from some missionary efforts before a few years earlier. In an attempt to squash the word of God any further, they killed all 8,000 of those converts. But some of the people on the shore of the river that day, they took those Bibles and they kept them secret. One of those people that kept them secret was actually an official of the Korean government. And he took the Bibles home and he tore the pages out and he stuck them all over the walls. He actually wallpapered his house with, with scripture. And then before long, people were lining up at his house to come and read scripture off of his walls. And then not long after that, there were some Koreans that started to profess faith in Jesus Christ and some small secret churches were started and there was a flame that was lit in Korea. Although it was very small, a flame was lit for Jesus. Fast forward a number of years, you're gonna read in history of a thing known as the Great Welch Revival that started in England around 1905. It spread rapidly around the world. It came to Korea in 1907 in what would become known as the Great Pongyang Revival where Christianity exploded in that country and thousands of people followed Christ and, and many churches were started. By many accounts today, South Korea is the most Christian nation in Asia. Many would say that. Um, they also have some of the largest evangelical churches in the world in South Korea. And even though we as Americans, most of us don't know the name Robert Thomas, I've been told that even the average Christian in Korea knows who Robert Thomas was. People read the Bible and it changed their country. Why? It's because the Bible is exactly what it claims to be. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So if you ask me, am I worried about the attacks of the Bible? No, I'm not really worried about the attacks on the Bible because the Bible can stand. It has always stood under the attacks. But what does bother me more, it bothers me greatly, is that so-called Christians today who attack the authority of God's word and they try to undermine the authenticity of God's word. That bothers me. I'm bothered by those who would try to reinterpret or reimagine God's word in an effort to harmonize a more secularized, secularized way of living with the Bible. That bothers me. I'm tired of those who twist up the Bible to try to make it mean something that anybody with half a brain knows that the Bible never intended to mean. So where did the Bible come from? How did we get it? These are really important questions, and I can tell you that what's at stake today is not the word of God. What's at stake today with this question are the souls of mankind. What you choose to believe about the Bible today does not put the Bible in any kind of jeopardy whatsoever. But what you choose to do with God's word and what you choose to believe about it and how you view it and how you follow it and choose to obey and what it motivates you to do, well, that has eternal implications. Your soul may be in jeopardy, to be quite honest with you. So the Bible itself is the source of all that we believe today as Christians. 
In fact, if you really think about it and wrestle that thought down, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, we wouldn't even have the words to put around that if it weren't for the Bible. You wanna talk about your walk with the Lord and what it means to follow him. We wouldn't even know how to talk about that without the Bible. So the Bible is a really good place to start this series with, and and in my opinion, the, the battle over the authority of God's word, that is the biggest point of division in the church in America today. David Young summarizes it really well, better than I could. I completely agree with what he writes. He, he says this about this topic we're talking about. He says, we will either define the Christian faith using the Christian Bible as our source of authority, or we will submit the Christian faith to our own sentiments, our own flawed reason, and the passions of an ever-changing experience. The critical choice is, You can follow the teaching of the Bible given by the prophets and apostles who actually lived with Jesus or you can follow your own sentiment constantly being fashioned by American myths of progress and political interest but you cannot follow both. My thoughts exactly. And just so there's no confusion here, I don't like confusion, I like clarity. I want you to know today that we here at New Life Christian Church believe the Bible to be the inerrant word of God. That is, the word of God without error. That's what we believe. So, where did the Bible come from? Well, that's actually a very fascinating uh, line of thinking. The simple and most basic answer to that question that I can give you today is an answer that an unbelieving and skeptical world will never accept. But be that as it may, it doesn't change the answer. Where did the Bible come from? Where did it come from? It came from God. The Bible came from God. And I'm gonna show you how it is that way. The Bible itself just means book. That's all the word Bible means. It just means book. Many religions have their own collection of sacred writings. Many religions will even refer to those sacred writings as their Bible. But as it relates to Christians, for us Christians, the Bible... It is the collection of scriptures that include both the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is recognized and used as the basis and authority of our Christian faith. That is the Bible. Now, you've probably done this. I've done this many times. But have you ever referred to the Bible as the Word of God? Yeah, we've all done that, haven't we? I I do that all the time. I use it interchangeably. I sometimes say the Bible. Sometimes I say the Word of God. Why do we call it the Word of God? We call it the Word of God because that's the phrase that the Bible uses to identify itself. The Bible uses that. I'll show you where. The Apostle Paul said it one time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He says this to the church. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Well, that's pretty clear. It seems like Paul's indicating that the, the word of God didn't come from me. It came from who? It came from God. The apostle Peter in his writing, he said this one time in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. This is Peter who actually walked and, and, and saw all of Jesus' miracles. And, and, and all. This is that Peter. 
He says, for you have been born again. Now, the, the brand new thing has happened in your lives, and that's why we're all gathered, because we've been born again. He's acknowledging that. But not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So both Peter and Paul uh, may identify that the Bible, the scriptures, they are actually the word of God. Have you ever used this phrase before? The living word. Have you ever referred to the Bible as the living word? Why do we call it the living word? Uh, We call it that way because that's how the Bible self-identifies itself. It identifies itself as the living word. We just read it in what Peter said. He called the word of God, but right before that he called it the what? The living and enduring word of God. There's something alive about this. What makes the scripture alive? If you look in the book of Acts chapter seven, where you come across a man named Stephen. Stephen was actually the very first Christian to ever die for his faith in Jesus. And he writes about how Moses received the words of God. This, and this is what he says. He says he, he's talking about Moses, was in the assembly in the wilderness. This goes back to the Exodus story in the Old Testament. He was in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. And with our ancestors, he received the living words and he passed them on to us. So so Stephen is referencing what? He's referencing divine words, godly words. He calls it the living word that was passed down from a living God. So we have this, the Bible says it's the word of God, it's the living word. How else does the Bible self-describe itself? In the Bible, we read this phrase, same thing we've, we've used this many times, the holy scriptures. Have you ever talked about the Bible saying it's the Holy Scriptures, why do we do that? Well, because that's what the Bible does. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter one, verse one and two. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What is he referring to? Holy Scriptures just simply means sacred Writings. What did Paul consider the sacred writings? What is he referencing when he says through the prophets in the holy scriptures? Well, he's, he's talking about the writings that Jesus and the apostles would be referencing at the same time. The word scripture itself just means writings and it was the common term that Jesus and his apostles used to talk about what we know today, and I'm saying very simplistically, what we know today as the Old Testament. So when the New Testament writers were talking about the holy scriptures, they were talking about what we know today as the Old Testament. It's interesting when Paul, in the New Testament, was talking to Timothy, who was a young apprentice, and Timothy, who was a young pastor who he sent to a church to kind of help get it organized. Paul marveled at Timothy's faith, and he says something very interesting. He says, how you were just a little kid, even in diapers you were introduced to the scriptures. Here's what he said. He didn't say diapers. I threw that in there, but just a little. He said in 2 Timothy 3.15, how from infancy... You have known the holy scriptures. So in other words, what he had been taught since he was just very young was the sacred holy scriptures that we know today as the Old Testament. It's what Timothy would have been taught. This is what he's referring to. 
And he goes on to say, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, so all of this up to that point, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, and I'd be very easy at this point to get very technical with some of these things, but that wouldn't serve our purpose. My purpose right now is just to help you see that where did the Bible come from? Well, the origins of the Bible is God. And the Bible makes that claim itself. It's coming from God. It's the Word of God. It's the living Word. It's the Holy Scriptures, these sacred writings. So I would say in the most simplest of ways I can explain it, where does the Bible come from? Where did it come from? It came from God himself, passed on through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to men who wrote down God's word. All of it is God-breathed, and it is useful for the benefit of us living and equipping us to be inside of God's family. Now, we can dig even deeper than that, and when we do, you're gonna discover that there are hundreds of times in the Old Testament where this phrase is used. The Lord said... Or if you like the King James, maybe something like this. The Lord saith. It's just whatever, it's the same thing. The Lord said to me, the Lord said, the Lord saith. You're gonna read that hundreds of times. Here's one example. King David, who wrote some of the Old Testament, he said this in 2 Samuel 23, verse two. He said, the spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. And he started writing. Jeremiah you know, like these authors of the Old Testament, Moses, David, Jeremiah, and others. Jeremiah said this. In Jeremiah 1.9, speaking about his calling, he said, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. And these are the words. These are the things that were communicated down through the Scriptures. These are the things that Jesus, the apostles, pointed to as the Holy Scriptures is coming from God. So you, you look at all this. The Lord says, the Holy Scriptures, the sacred writings, these words that the Lord spoke through me, these words that God put on my, my mouth, these truths that were passed down from angels to Moses on Mount Sinai, all of that today is what we refer to in many ways as the Old Testament. And this is what Peter said about all that. Second Peter verse chapter 1, verse 20, this is what he taught the church about the Scriptures. He said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origins in the human will, but prophets, through though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what becomes very clear as you read the New Testament is that Jesus and the apostles all considered what we call the Old Testament as direct revelation from God. Now I want you to let that sink in for just a minute. Jesus referenced the Holy Scriptures as coming from God. So when you pick up your Bible and you read the very opening words of the Bible, in the beginning God created, where did that come from? It's a revelation to us that God created everything. When you, when you read these, these words in the Old Testament, these things, the Lord said to me and spoke to me, I think when you read the Bible next, 
I think we need to keep that forefront in our minds. But that's just the Old Testament. The, the New Testament makes the same claims. The authors of the New Testament, like, like Paul and Peter and, and Luke and others, they, they make the same claim. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. He said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach to you is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This is the Apostle Paul, who most likely wrote 13 books of the New Testament. This gospel that we've been preaching to you, it's not of human origin. Jesus said this to his disciples. This may be a little detail that maybe, maybe it just passed over, you didn't catch. But Jesus told his disciples about when he's gone, the Holy Spirit is gonna come. And we read all about that in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. But you know what we might have missed, a little detail, or maybe you have in your study? That Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to serve several functions for you in these early days. Jesus said this in, in, in John chapter 14, verse 26. He says, but an advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, so Jesus is saying this is gonna happen, he'll do this for you. He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So what happens next? The Holy Spirit comes on the disciples, they go out, and there's that day, great day of Pentecost, they're speaking in tongues, and 3,000 people believed and were baptized. That's what happens right after this. But the work of the Holy Spirit didn't end right there. What did the church devote themselves to as it grew and developed? One of the four pillars of the early church was they devoted themselves to the, what, apostles' teaching. The apostles went out and they taught the church everything that Jesus had taught them. And along with that, the Holy Spirit came along and reminded them of everything that Jesus, Jesus taught them. Wouldn't you have loved to have that in school when you're taking a test? The Lord, Holy Spirit, help me remember what I learned. You know, that's the way I prayed as an eighth grader taking a social studies test. I need help, God. But as they preached the word and as they taught it and as it eventually became written down, it was driven along by the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the roles that the Holy Spirit played for the early church. What I can tell you is the answer to the question, where did the Bible come from? The unanimous testimony of the Bible is that its author is God and it was written down by men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is these words that form the very foundation of all that is Christian is based on. So since these are the very words of God, why would we ever be surprised when somebody picks it up and reads it and it changes their life? Why would we ever be surprised? Why would we ever be surprised when somebody reads the Bible and it changes their heart and it helps them overcome an addiction, it helps free them from a lifestyle of sin. Why would we ever be surprised when whole communities read the Bible and it changes their town, it changes their cities, it changes whole nations? Why would we ever be surprised that an entire family tree can change when the word of God is introduced into a family? Why would we ever be surprised? You have no doubt have heard me you've been around here any time, length of time, heard me describe our church family as this, New Life Christian Church, 
is a Bible-believing church. Have you heard me use those words? If not, I'm sharing them with you for the first time today. We believe that every word in the Bible is God's word to mankind. We believe these words without an apology for it. We hold a very high view of Scripture, and that's never going to change. You might be wondering, well, what does that mean to have a high view of Scripture? What, what does that mean? Well, I, some of you know what it means because the reason you find yourself here today is because perhaps you watched your previous church go from a high view of Scripture to a low view of Scripture right before your very eyes, and you said, I'm not going to be a part of this. Some of you are here today, um, and some of you are watching me online right now, checking out our church, and, and you've got questions about what do we believe about bi- the Bible? Do we believe it's the Word of God? Do we, do we take it seriously? And, and that's why you're here, because in your previous church, it's no longer taken that way. You grew weary of, of hearing people say things like this, the Bible is a human book. It's not a human book. You got weary of hearing messages like this. The Bible contains words from God. What you may not be realizing, what you came to realize is that that statement comes with a flip side. It contains words from God, which opens the door for, it also contains words that aren't from God, which is false. And you're like, I've had enough of that. You are weary of hearing church leaders and teachers say things like this. Hey, the Bible doesn't necessarily have to be all true for you to live the Christian life. Or have you ever heard somebody say, you don't have to believe in the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus to live out Christian principles and live the Christian life. Friends, I'm telling you, that's so far off what the Bible teaches. You cannot be a Christian without belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. You say, I'm tired of that message. You grew sick of hearing people say things and justify behavior like saying, society has evolved in modern times and there's no way that the Bible can apply exactly to modern day society any longer. Hogwash. You got tired of hearing these reinterpretations or reimagining the scripture to fit some kind of modern day narrative. And you got tired of hearing people say, hey, our Christian faith has to evolve with the times. And enough of that nonsense. Or you ever heard a pastor say, The Bible can never mean today, and God can never intend today what he meant all those years ago when the Bible was written. That's baloney. We reject all that. Personally, I believe it's an affront to God. So instead, what I want to encourage our church to be like, what I want to challenge us to be like, is to be like King David in the Old Testament 
When he said in, in Psalm chapter 119, 105 and the following, he said this about God's word, about the Holy Scriptures. He said, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. He says, I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. In other words, he's, he's talking about the Bible. He's gonna use several words for it, but he's talking about God's holy word. He says in verse 107, I have suffered much, persevere my life, Lord, according to your word. He's saying, I, I want to move forward only according to what you say. That's what he says. Lord, accept the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. He's, I'm not gonna forget this. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Where did he find the precepts in here? Your statues are my heritage forever. They are the joy for my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Friend, the Bible is from God and it's the core of all that we are as Christians. Now, some of you, have asked other questions um, that are related to this. Questions like, how did the Bible get passed down to us? Have you ever wondered that? All these years later, how did it get passed down to us? How did they come up with the, the, the books of the Old Testament and the books of the New Testament? How was that all packaged together? Who made those decisions? You know, these are written by many different authors over many different years. How did it come together in this one uh, this one um, Bible, how did we get that? Or what we might refer specifically as the canon. Some of you have asked questions, are, are there other books that you think should have been in the Bible that aren't? Some of you have asked questions about, hey, what's the Apocrypha? Or if I've got a Bible that's got more books than your Bible, what is that all about? So a lot of you have asked questions about all of that is the origins of the Bible. Where I wanted to start today is the Bible's from God. Let's create a baseline. The Bible's from God. Now here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tackle some of those other questions, but here's how I'm gonna tackle them. I want you to watch social media this week, say, uh, Facebook, Instagram. I'm gonna be putting out a couple videos, short videos, that are gonna dissect and jump into some of these questions. And I'm hoping for that to be my pattern through this series, to tackle some, for lack of better words, the bigger questions or the ones that can be made into a sermon, and then take the questions that also relate to it and try to do some video teaching, some short snippets throughout the week that kind of answer some of the other questions. And as long as, the God give, as long as God gives me the energy to do that and the material and, and, and drive, that's gonna be my pattern. If the video stopped coming, it's because I ran out of stuff. No, I'm just, I don't know. But that's what I'm gonna try to do. So you guys watch some of our social media stuff and you're gonna see a few videos where I'm gonna try to tackle some of those other questions as well. But here's where I wanna leave you today as we launch out in this series. I'm gonna leave you with something that God said to Joshua. Joshua was a key figure in the Old Testament. Joshua took over the reins of leadership of the Israelites after Moses died. After their wilderness experience, Joshua is supposed to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land, which just sounds like a daunting task. And this is what God said to Joshua. Joshua 1.8, he said, Josh, keep the book of the law. For, for simplicity, he's referring to the first couple books of the Bible, but for us, let's just say the Bible. Josh, keep the Bible, keep God's words always on your lips. How in the, what does he mean, keep the Bible on your lips? 
you know, the Bible speaks very clearly that out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth will say things. So it's like you digest this, you eat it up, you take it in so that it's always close, it's always on your lips. He goes, keep it close. And then he says, meditate on it day and night. So this is like saying, memorize it, put it in your heart, keep it close. I mean, I mean pray over it, dwell on these words. And then he says, so that, it, it seems to be a conditional statement, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you'll be prosperous and successful. It really does seem like God is saying here is he's about to go and do, because you know what happens right after this? They march around Jericho and the walls fall down. That's the very next thing that happens. Isn't it interesting that, that God said, if you want success, it's in here. There's a New Testament equivalent to this. Um, Paul said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, I've got this big job for you, but here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to watch your, do you remember? Life and your doctrine closely. It's like Paul saying, listen, how you behave and what you believe matters. The whole success of the thing matters on that. And I would challenge you with the same thing today, church. Do you remember how the Bible ends? Do you remember the, the, the last words of Revelation? John received this instruction, and I'm gonna give you my paraphrase. Hey, John, if anybody goes messing with my words, I, I know my paraphrase won't stand up under um, interpretive scrutiny, but this is my paraphrase. Hey, John, if anybody goes messing with my words, if anybody goes to try to change them, remove them, adapt them, fool around with them, here's what's gonna happen. All the scary stuff that I showed you that you wrote down for Revelation, it's gonna befall that guy who messes with my words. That's enough to motivate me. Let me pray for you. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. Lord, as a church family, I pray that you help us see it correctly, obey it with passion. Lord, may we take your words more serious than we've ever taken them before. Lord, in those times where we don't know what to do, would you remind us to go to your word? Lord, when those times we don't know what to say or how to respond, Lord, at those times, take us to your word. Lord, when the world seems confusing and falling apart and nothing makes sense, Lord, take us back to your words. Lord, help us as a church family define success through your eyes, not through the world's eyes. Because Lord, we know that you define these things differently. So Lord, help us to be consumed with what success looks like in your eyes, not what success looks like in the world's eyes, to our friends. So Lord, I pray you guide us through this. I pray, Lord, you, you take us on this journey together of questions and answers and 
At the end of the day, Lord, help us fall so much more in love with you. Help us to, 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 to lean in more to you than we ever have before. Lord, help us to live out our faith the way you want us to. So Lord, our prayer as we finish is to say thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ who lived, who died on the cross, who was placed in the tomb. Three days later, he rose to life and we know, Lord, it actually happened. Our lives are a living testimony of the truthfulness of it. So Lord, we praise you for it. And we thank you for your holy words. Help us to live by them. In Jesus' name, amen.